Hey everybody, welcome to The Big Ticket, Variety and iHeart's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. On the show today, Joshua Jackson. The actor stops by The Big Ticket. Well, it was done via Zoom because of the upside down world we are living in right now. To talk about his latest series, Little Fires Everywhere with Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington. It's a crazy time for Jackson. He's not only busy promoting the Hulu series, but his brother is an ER doctor in New York City and Jackson's wife, Queen and Slim star Jodie Turner-Smith, is about to give birth to their first child. The good news, Jackson's spirits are up and he was down for chatting. We talked about working with Reese and Kerry, filming and seeing that now legendary scene in his tidy whities and his thoughts on America's newest obsession, Tiger King. I'll be right back with Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's Little Fires Everywhere star, Joshua Jackson. Hey, 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 what's up? <laughs> How you doing? How are I'm, you doing? Honestly? You know, it's just, it's weird. You know, I'm about to get on a Zoom thing with Joshua Jackson. I'm telling my husband, shut the music. He has the rumba going. So the dogs are barking at the rumba. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't clean now. Um, but it's just yeah. I can't. Just... I cannot promise that the dogs will not be barking at a squirrel in about ten minutes. Yeah, no, my dogs will probably be barking at something. I just feel bad for the dogs. Like when we go back to so-called normal, um, what's going to happen? The dogs are going to have major separation anxiety. Yeah, they're like this. This pandemic thing works really well for us. You I guys know. are home all the time. <laughs> so, Joshua Jackson, how are you? I'm good. I mean, like you, I'm just figuring this thing out on a yeah. day by day. Uh, obviously, we have the complication of just about to have a baby. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a, that adds a little bit of sauce to my days. But in general, you know, my wife's healthy, my baby's healthy, so I'm healthy. Life is good. How do you even comprehend all of this, or do you sort of just take it a day by day? Well, you have to plan out. So the so you know any interaction with medical professionals right now is is a little bit scary uh, because you know they've been hung out to dry and they're doing everything that they can to provide us with health and safety but they're not really being given what they need to provide for their own health and safety wow so there's definitely a bit of quite a bit of extra planning around that but at the end of the day you know we're in a major it's just trust because we can't get anybody tested and so since you can't test anybody you can't know Right. So it's like if you've been in or around an emergency room, you can't come in the house. If you right. have been interacting with other people in the last 14 days, you can't come in the house. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it definitely adds a layer of angst. But I think from what I'm told, being a new parent is just angsty anyway. So <laughs> I think this is just the way it is. And I have a feeling, you know what? If coronavirus even comes near you guys, I just feel like Jody would kick it. Ass. Like, I totally agree with that. Do not <laughs> yeah. <mess with> Joey. <laughs> no, there's no part. She, yeah, and she's militant about like she's just she's been great in this, and also right. keeping her spirits high. But yeah, like we're we're at the place where we're you know if a package comes to the house, the package gets wiped down entirely right. before it gets in the house. So, so I I have confidence. I I am a firm believer that everything's going to be okay. I think we're going to be fine. And your your brother's an ER doctor. Yeah, yeah, Whoa. in New York. Whoa. So he's really at the front lines, and that's sort of where, um, you know, in the in the times where I can get him on the phone, that's where I'm really getting my information about you know what's possible and and how severe 
things really are and the answer wow. is extremely severe so you just you, your family is just under like this weird stress of you got you you having a baby in this you got your brother and brother in new yeah. york of all places yeah yeah and in, in the new york press system like he's right right at the front lines huh. and they don't have anything you know he's like we don't have masks we don't have gowns we don't have blood. well i mean they do but they're, they're right. running out and and they're at the place that italy was in two weeks ago of choosing who gets ventilators who doesn't wow they you know i don't even have space for bodies mm, yeah as, my as, my husband and i the other day west hollywood city council was doing like sort of a you know health workers drive for if you have any supplies that they could use and my husband's a hair color so we have a lot of gloves gloves wow yeah so you know, we took a couple of boxes of gloves and then when this all first started, he ordered something off Amazon that literally looks like stormtrooper helmets, like some kind of face shield thing. And I was like, babe, we're not going to use these. I don't know if the healthcare workers could use them. They looked like they would protect them. So you had to like drive to a park. Don't roll down your windows, pop your trunk. They take the supplies out. They close your trunk and you drive away. And you go away. Yeah. And I got emotional. I started crying a little bit. I'm like, what is this world? Like it was yeah. like handmaid's tale stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, and the, you know, the total failure in leadership at the top has not made anything easier, but right. I think we all need to be prepared for this being the new normal for at least, you know, the next five, six, seven, eight months. Right. This is not a two week issue, no. you know? Yeah. <laughs> So in the craziness of all this, work still goes on. Yeah. Um, you have this great series on Hulu, Little Fires Everywhere. Yeah. Um, I have to be careful because I've watched all seven episodes and still waiting for the finale. Okay. Um, so I know a lot and I've never You're read ahead. the book. Yeah, I'm ahead. I had never, I've never read the book, so I don't know who set the fires. Um, but did you read the book beforehand? Did you know about the book at all? I only read the book when I got brought into the process. So right. um, I, which would be May or June of last year, May of last year. So uh, they sent me the first seven scripts, uh, which is amazing that they had, they, they actually had the, the first eight, but until I signed on the dotted line, they wouldn't give me eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they sent me the first seven scripts. Uh, I thought the scripts were really compelling. Then I went back and read the book because I wanted to see where the Bill character was in the book. And the Bill character doesn't really exist much in the book. I mean, he's there, mm. but he's not, he's not of central focus. And that was actually part, that was the first thing that I said to Reese Carey and to Liz was like, I, you know, as a, as an audience member, as a person who reads a lot of scripts, it's amazing to read a script and a whole narrative arc that's completely from the female perspective, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you have, you have the, the kid storyline and you have these two women's storyline and the and it, this show is truly told through the woman's eyes. Right. Um, and that's a breath of fresh air, frankly, but that be, given that that's the case, I don't actually think that this bill character is fleshed out enough. I don't see a, an actual man in here. I see sort of, uh, brush strokes of a man and to their credit all three of them took that as constructive criticism and said yeah well you know we, that's true we have focused really heavily on getting these women right and making their narratives and the kids narratives and those dynamics make sense and we haven't had you know a man in the room and we haven't really put our focus there 
So they were really open and receptive to, and it was teeny tiny things like, right. you know, it wasn't whole page one rewrite. Right. Um, it was just little minor additions also to take into account the, the power dynamic inside of a family at, in, in the 1990s. Right. So meaning that those people weren't of the 1990s, they're actually of the 1970s. Right. And uh, Elena being this powerhouse character that she is, which still have to work with inside the confines of a very, you know, patriarchal male dominated place where she could she could have, you know, her nice side job. Right. It kept her busy. But she but he was still the boss in that house. Um, so just taking st things like that into account and, and that was it. And then we were way to the races. <laughs> yeah. So Bill, I mean, he just does not stand up to Elena, does he? <laughs> no, well, he, I mean, I think the deal that he's made, I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of in this, this place right now. I'm really fascinated by like dissipated manhood. Mm. Um, Cause I feel like Cole was kind of that in the affair. Mm -hmm. um, he's a, it's a much more, more butch character, uh, but at the end of the day, he's a man, you know, grappling with loss and his own, uh, lack of, of sense of purpose in life. Right. He, and he funnels all of that energy into his wife. Well, Bill did kind of the same thing, but in the opposite direction, right? He made this unspoken deal with his wife at some point in the, in the, you know, the way, way back history of this show. And the deal was like, I want to be with this woman and I don't really want to, I'm, I don't really have it in me to be the, the maverick that I thought I would be the public defender that's going to go out and right. change the world. So I'll do all the right things and I'll get the picket fence and I'll have the, you know, all the like cute, well-polished kids. And I guess that's a successful life. And to right. me that I, you know, I see that, I understand that. I think lots and lots of people make that deal with themselves mm. and then you end up in some some degree of misery uh, and at some point in your life that rattles apart right yes. the, the husband and the wife the partners don't really speak to each other about anything real they're just going through the motions and i think for bill you know he really doesn't want to deal with anything inside that house right so yeah <laughs> everything that is like kids and home and elena he's just like yeah whatever just i'm gonna be in my, done. i'm gonna be in my office <laughs> yeah exactly. i think there's a lot of a lot of scotch in the office for bill. <laughs> Like, how did I get here? But, he, yeah. but th there's a part of him I feel like is just he's just given up. He's just like totally. it is what it is. He's thrown his hands up. He's like, I did my bit. You know, I got the right job. I did the right thing. I and he has he has ceased wanting to be engaged in the fight. Right. With his own life. I mean, he's he has literally given up on his own life. And I I'm I find that fascinating. Not mm -hmm. only because I can see how it happens you know there's been times in my life where i'm like well i guess this is just what it is, it is right and you just you know you're like this is what they say like you put your nose to the grindstone and you just keep on going all those kind of terrible pieces of advice that we get <laughs> that that increase your misery um but the scene that seems to be getting a lot of attention from the public and your wife those tidy whities dude the tidy whities heard heard around the world so <laughs> Little did I know that in 30 years, all I really needed to do was get into some like ugly dad underwear and it would, this is what people have really been waiting for. I've never heard the phrase dad underwear. Well, the, literally when we were doing, so the, the, uh, the wardrobe supervisor or the costume designer rather, uh, is a woman named Lynn Paolo. And, you know, we were doing this and she's like, do you want to do sweats? Do you want to do, I was like, no, this is like a middle-aged dad who's given up. 
I want, you know, ill-fitting tidy whities He grew up in the 70s. He's exactly that guy. And an undershirt, like he is, that's you know, him. from those, those like archetype movies of the 50s and 60s, yeah. that's who he would have grown up thinking were super cool guys, right? Um, and so we shot the first scene and then there's another scene in the bedroom later on in that first episode. And if you are paying close attention, you'll notice that I'm wearing boxers in that scene because after we shot the first one, the ladies came to me, uh, particularly Lynn, the director, and was like, you know, I just don't know about the tidy whities It's a little bit too much. And I was like, what do you mean? He's a guy, he's like sort of giving up on life. And she's like, yeah, but just save me boxes for this. And I obviously I wasn't watching the footage, so I didn't know what she was talking about. But when I saw the episode, I was like, Oh, oh, yeah, there's a lot of me in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I love that Jody called, Jody's like, someone has to have a gif of this. Where are the gifs? And like within seconds. Seconds, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, jo Jody's very happy for the world to know what she's working with. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why she's we not, love you guys as a couple. <laughs> yeah, she, she's not smiling all the time because I'm funny, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna take a short break, but when we come back, Jackson reveals how he really feels when young people tell him their moms were big fans of Dawson's Creek. Plus, Jackson weighs in on Tiger King. I'll be right back. Okay, let's go. So we're supposed to be sticking to the script, but we ain't, <laughs> cause that's just not what we do. It's your girl Tam Bam, y'all, and it's AJ Hey, and we're giving a whole bunch of good bad advice and a lot of bad great advice. <laughs> we're trying to teach you how to say when, how, and how much, y'all. Yes, sir. Now that doesn't always have to apply to your sex life, ladies. It can absolutely apply to your career, unless your sex life is your career, then it's interchangeable. <laughs> We're talking about a whole lot of sex. I love the sex. Hey, and a bunch of money. We love the money and relationships. Yeah, we're going to work on that. <laughs> so listen to our new show, We Talk Back, every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Little Fires Everywhere star, Joshua Jackson. It's the themes, obviously, like you said, you know, these are people who grew up in the 70s. Um, this, but the themes are so now. I mean, if you did it, yeah. there was a part, there was even parts where I was like, wait a minute, what year is it? What year is it? Right. There are moments you sort of forget and you're even looking at Elena going, she could be a mom in the 90s who's still a little stuck in her old ways of... Um, dressing because you know the shoulder pads and the dynasty right. kind of outfits um but the the themes are there but mia wasn't necessarily black in the book from what no. I, right so it just i now i keep trying to imagine her as white i'm like oh how would it work it would just be like single white female right well if you if if she's just white you're only you're only tackling the issues of class right right, right. which are which and there's there's a whole story there right so there's there's plenty of of juicy and meaty things there but it, as soon as the mia character becomes black and then obviously by extension if a child becomes black you you bring in the race and class and then the intersection of race and class yeah. right and it just makes the whole story in, I think incredibly richer and by set by having it set in the 90s and introducing the idea of race into it or more centrally into it 
what you also do is because we've learned the language around microaggressions, if you set this in 2020, right, a lot of the ways in which the kids and as all children are who are just reflections of the things they hear in their home, who are just reflections of their parents, all those cringeworthy moments. Um, like I, I had one in, in episode, the la- episode, episode four, which I guess we last week's episode. Yeah. Um, the where Bill's in the process is at the dinner table and he's, you know, up in arms about this, this Chinese person. And you know, that's not the word he's looking for. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, But like all of those things that are, that are cringeworthy to us in 2020, but we've all, all we've done is like learn the language around how not to be cringeworthy. We actually haven't really changed the behavior patterns very much. So I think it, you know, by putting it just that little bit in the past, you give license to really, look at these things in a more frank manner um, mm-hmm. because they couldn't, you know, it could not be more topical than, than what, well, what we were all going to up until two weeks ago and then the world changed. Yeah. Because it's even when, when, especially Elena Reese, she says a couple of things and you just, you're just, you just cringe <laughs> yeah. and you're like, that's so awful as if that's not happening now. Right. Well, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, we want to, we, I, we always want to give our credit ourselves credit, particularly as white people, we want to give ourselves credit for being farther along culturally than we are. Right. And so there's that brilliant scene between um, Reese and Carrie where uh, Reese's character is offering her the the house manager job, you know, and Mia very rightly is like, you want me to be your maid. And as an audience member, you're just like, Oh, Right, um, but if you walked into most homes in Los Angeles and looked at the who's hiring and who's doing the work, that dynamic exists. So, so yeah, I mean, I think these two women are brilliant, and the women around them are brilliant, and they understood what 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 they could achieve by by choosing to tell a story that's set in that time, because it allows you the ability to to make the characters a little bit out of pocket, right, um, while still being while still talking about the, the things that are of concern to us today. So now did the young kids on set even know what Cruel Intentions were, was? <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I mean, I, I, they, I think I did, a, I, I got, I'm in this phase of my career where, you know, anybody under 30 really, but you know, all these kids were like 18 and below. Well, I think Jade was 19. <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but all kids. Um, they were like, yeah, I, I think I've heard of Dawson's Creek. I think that was my, my mom really liked that show. Yeah, that's where mm. I'm at. <laughs> How wild is that? Because I have to tell you, I don't think I've ever even told you this. So when Dawson's Creek started, I was the entertainment editor for a magazine called Twist. It was a teen magazine. Sort of like, you know, like Tiger Bee kind of thing. And I remember WB, right? It was on WB? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so WB publicist calls me and says, we're shooting the prom scene of Dawson's Creek, but you guys hadn't been on the air yet. They said, do you want to come? And, you know, you can photo it, interview everyone. My editor-in-chief was like, nah, we don't know if that show is going to be big. <laughs> we didn't go and have a set visit for the prom scene at Dawson's um, Creek. And that's obviously stayed with me for a very long time. <laughs> I've been carrying this for 20 years. Let it but, go, man. Let it but go. But you know what? I use it. I use it now when I'll like bring, you know, up a new 
you know, a new actor or a new show. And I'm like, listen, it could be my Dawson's Creek. Right. Let's just, you know. Because <laughs> you never know. I mean, Lord, we, we had no idea when we were shooting that thing. No. What we were about to do. And then, I mean, talking about nostalgia, Mighty Ducks. Will we see Charlie on the Disney Plus show? I don't think you'll see Charlie <laughs> on the Disney Plus show. Um, but I do know the well I, I wonder if they were actually able to finish their production yeah i know yeah. that they were shooting up in vancouver uh and i don't know if they were able to get to rap but i but i do know that it, it is getting done which i think is great it's you know and as it should be it's the next generation of kids right. which i think is exactly right is it wild when you see things like like what you said like their parents watched Dawson's Creek. mighty ducks is going to yeah. be this whole new generation which means they're going to watch your movies and they're going to get well, to know Joshua Jackson there. So here's like the weird thing about surviving for as long as I had. One is, yeah, the, the, the like cycle of generations. But two, because everything is current always now, those Mighty Ducks movies, like I'm always surprised when a, you know, a six or seven or eight or nine year old would be like, hey, Charlie. Because um, <laughs> we kind of don't make really kids movies like that no. anymore right no. it's either it's either a tv show or it's an animated show but there isn't really like a directly for young teens and below like the bad uh, news bears yeah like that <laughs> kind of stuff just went away and then uh, then i would say probably like six or seven years ago my friend's kids started being like hey man i watch your show i'm like what fringe like no no I, i'm watching dawson's creek again I'm like, what <laughs> and I guess it was it, uh, one of the streamers picked it up and it just became a new generation's like, I don't even understand how at 17 now you would relate to anything that's going on in that, in that <laughs> like we're in a pre-social media, pre-cell phone. Right. Like, it must seem from the stone age if you're 17 right now. It's I guess vintage. like- It's called vintage. Vintage, yeah, <laughs> vintage, exactly. I'm a vintage actor. <laughs> You're from old Hollywood. <laughs> old Hollywood, exactly. Let me tell you how it was, kid. So what are you binging right now? I know, I said you guys have been watching Tiger King. Oh, we finished it last night. And? Have you watched any of this? <laughs> the entire thing we binged at the first weekend of the pandemic. I cannot <laughs> wrap my head around basically anything in that show. Like, I, one, that that man and that woman exist. And, and that there is a subculture of people who have giant, ferocious, man-eating animals as their house pets. <laughs> Two, that there is such a thing as a uh, gay, libertarian, cowboy, meth head. Libertarian. Animal. Libertarian. Libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meth head, cowboy, like, gunslinging. Gunslinging. Poly, uh, polyamorous. Polyamorous. <laughs> with always kind of like hot young guys. You did but not. you know what I mean? You did not. No. Oh, seriously, like. Dude, did you see Joe? He has no well, teeth. I mean, meth is a powerful <laughs> drug, my friend. But when Joe started out, he was a handsome young fella. Which makes me think that the, like, the talent pool in Oklahoma is pretty, pretty shallow. Uh. Because... If you're an 18-year-old gay man and Joe Exotic is, you're like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> like, go to Texas. I don't know. 
Just get in a car and drive west, young man. Oh my God, you're killing you me. You end right up now. in a much better place. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's the wildest. And also, you know, the the like that woman killed her husband. Do you right? think she this did? is what we're supposed? Do you think? She I did? mean, she's pretty gleeful about <laughs> when they're interviewing her, and she's like, and then they think I put him under the septic tank. <laughs> like mm. meat grinder? How could a hand fit in the meat grinder? <laughs> exactly. Well, madam, you would only know that if you tried. Like, <laughs> you would only know that if you were standing in front of the meat grinder, being like, "Damn it, I can't get the whole hand in there." You know, <laughs> it's just like everything about that show. It was mind-boggling to me. Mr. Jackson, you're amazing. Go have a healthy baby. Thank you. We will. Um, tell Jody I said hi. Will do. Um, her Twitter is just it's killing me. She yeah. Kills yeah. Me. She's she's uh, this is the difference between us and the our eight-year age gap. It's like the the total uh, social media savviness. Mm -hmm. And and she's Pretty hilarious on there at the best of times, but now that we have nothing but time on our hands, <laughs> the world had better watch out. Like, do not cross my wife on Twitter. I'm telling you, you, forget about Dr. Fauci, <laughs> Jody Turner-Smith in charge of coronavirus. That thing would be done. Done. <laughs> done. Honestly, she'd have it wrapped up by this weekend. I know. Well, Mr. Jackson, <laughs> thank you again. Um, hopefully you. next time I'll see you in person and not... Yes. You know what I can't wait for? World. I can't wait to see you in person and be able to give you a hug. Oh, thank you. Same here. You know what and I mean? I cannot wait until, until we can get past this moment in time. That was Joshua Jackson. Little Fires Everywhere is available on Hulu. Coming up next week, actor and LGBTQ Hollywood trailblazer, Wilson Cruz. For now, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. For the latest entertainment news, head over to Variety.com. Be well and be safe. See you next time.